All right, thanks, Mark. Good morning, everybody. Really glad that you're here today as we move toward Christmas and our whole holiday rush that we're part of. And uh, many of the you ladies were here for the tea uh, on either Friday or yesterday and just want to, you know, notice that that was an awesome event. We had, you know, ribbon hanging down here and a dancer who hung by this and did this dance thing. Uh, by hanging, and I thought, I'm never doing that, okay? <laughs> never doing that. Uh, actually, I can't dance at all, so it doesn't even matter if I'm hanging or on the, have my feet on the ground. It really doesn't matter. So what we've been doing, uh, just in, it, maybe this is your first week today, I just want to catch you up. We've been looking at some uh, of the more difficult uh, sayings that Jesus gave that are recorded for us in uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And we call them his outrageous statements that he's making. And uh, these statements that are shocking, uh, and uh, what, what, I, what I've been thinking about, and so the, if you're new today, or maybe you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, and you're going, wow, these are hard, you just got to know that even for the most seasoned follower of Jesus Christ, that some of the statements we've looked at has caused us to cringe a little bit, right? Just at some of the things that Jesus said. So there's there some things that Jesus said that are like eating milk chocolate. Love milk chocolate. You know, put it in my mouth and just let it melt right there and just let it melt in, especially if it has some caramel mixed again, but it's really better. But milk chocolate, I love that. And there's some things that Jesus said that are like that. You know, he said something like, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That's like milk chocolate, isn't it? Just that saying that he said that. He said, I've come to give you life in all its fullness. Once again, it's just like milk chocolate soaking in. But there are other words that Jesus spoke, and they're like those hard, sour balls that you can buy. You know, you unwrap them, and you pop one in your mouth, and your mouth just contorts because it's so sour. You can't try it, and you can't really get it out in time. And uh, so you pucker up, and you react strongly. Well, Jesus said words that we're looking at that are more like hard, sour candy. They're controversial, some of them. They're hard to understand. And just as they're hard to understand, they're actually hard to do as well. And they're words that can cause you to cringe. He said things like the first week we looked at, eat my flesh and drink my blood. A few weeks later, we looked at one that said, you know what? If your hand offends you, chop it off. If your eye offends you, poke it out. You know, he said things like that. Uh, he said, last, we looked at last week, and Pastor Mark did a great job with it. He says, sell everything you have and give it to the poor. You know, that made me cringe a little bit, you know, just thinking about that whole thing. And as we've been saying, people in our day, in our day, do outrageous things, and their purpose is to draw attention to themselves. But Jesus, on the other hand, he said outrageous things. And when he said these outrageous statements, he said them to make a point to kind of shake up the status quo, to define what it was that God wanted, and to clarify who he was. So he used strong language to get our attention. Last week, Mark, as we were left here, Kim and I got to take Ryan to the airport, and we were talking about, you know, it's church, and talking about this series, and Ryan told me about a professor he has that says that there are certain statements in the Bible that are like atomic elbows. Just kind of like an atomic elbow. You're got, all of a sudden, you're like, just, hey, pay attention and wake up. And so that's kind of this, 
types of statements that we're looking at in this series. So today's outrageous statements at the top of your message notes. If you want to grab those, that'd be awesome. And uh, pull them out. You can follow along all the Bible verses I'll use. I'm going to skip around a little bit today, even though we're going to be in the same context of Jesus' words. If you want to open your Bible, Luke 14 is where we're going to jump off at and where we find his outrageous statement as well. But you look at the top. It says there, it says, a large crowd was following Jesus. So here's, here's another situation. The first week we talked about that there was a large crowd who had followed Jesus because they were wanting Jesus to perform another miracle. And basically that meant they wanted Jesus to feed them. And so they were, you know, large crowd was there. He said these words and then the crowds dispersed. And so typically what was going on is that Jesus would come into a region and he would perform miracles. He would teach and he would, you know, heal and he would show people what it really is like to know God. And so it, it, as crowds would you know, go away, crowds would come and more people would come around them. And then he would lay another atomic bomb on them and they would disperse again. You know, he wasn't like a car salesman. If you're a car salesman, please don't be offended. Who uh, I've had this experience before, you know, that you look at the car and you really are thinking that you don't want it. And you're thinking they say this. What would it take to get you in this car today, right? He doesn't do that kind of thing. Jesus said things that actually, you know, did the opposite, you know, kind of move people away from the sale uh, and that kind of thing. Okay, so a large crowd was following Jesus. He turned around and said to them, if you want to be my disciple, you must hate everyone by comparison, your father and mother. And some of you are going, oh my gosh, I can do this one. <laughs> If that's you, I really want to pray for you. I know that maybe some counseling might help. And that way, I can, you may be thinking you can do this. And, and your wife and your children and your brothers and your sisters, yes, even your own life. Otherwise, notice this, you cannot be my disciples. So he wasn't trying to get them in the car that day behind the wheel. He was trying to help them to know what it means to actually follow him. And if you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. So the first question that comes to mind when we read this is this hyperbole. You know, we looked at that week, a couple of weeks ago, and you're cutting off your hand, poking out your eye. That was hyperbole. Or is this to be taken literally? Is it to be taken literally, or is it to be taken figuratively? Is it like some kind of hyperbolic statement, you know, that Jesus made? Or is it something that we're supposed to read in and determine the figurative meaning? Well, the answer to that is this. Even though this statement is very shocking, it's not hyperbole. Uh, it's not to be taken literally. It's figurative. So I want to help you to know what hate means. you got a couple of blanks there. We're going to kind of go one at a time and fill these in as we talk about hate. There are too many, two primary ways that hate is used, and one would be active. So this would be called, this would call active hate. This is, you know, to have hostile Malicious feelings towards someone or something. You know, hostility. We are seeing a lot of this on our news right now. A lot of hostility and malicious, hostile hate. Uh, we know that this can't be the way that Jesus meant it, though. Uh, because if Jesus really meant that we are to have hostility towards our family, it would contradict his own teachings, and it would contradict other things in the Bible as well. For example, you might write this down. 1 Timothy 5.8 says this. Those who don't care for their relatives, especially those in their own household, have denied the faith. They are worse than unbelievers. 
So that's what Paul writes. Jesus says, hate your father, hate your mother, hate your wife, hate your children. Paul says, not to care for your family makes you like an unbeliever. So we can see that those are contradictory. So we have to understand what was actually being said. Jesus' own words. We looked at a few weeks ago. He says, love your enemies. How could Jesus say, hate my mom, hate my dad, hate my brother, hate my wife, but love my enemies? How could he do that? Well, that seems contradictory. But you got to know the Bible never contradicts itself. It never contradicts itself. And anytime that you believe there's a contradiction, you have to dig below the surface and look for the most logical explanation. And when you do, well, you're going to discover the next thing about hate, and it's this. It's comparative. It's comparative. It doesn't mean to literally hate, but it means to describe something in comparison to another. Now, we do this with sports. In fact, there's a game this afternoon between the San Francisco 49ers and the Oakland Raiders. Okay? So we have eight Raiders fans, I think, here. Uh, See, those who love the Raiders hate the 49ers in comparison to the Raiders, okay? Now, there's some rabid fans who are hostile. (laughs) And that's why they've hired extra security guards for today's game. Just so you know that. It was a big thing in the paper, extra security guards for today's game because of that. And we also know that those who love the 49ers hate the Raiders in comparison to how they feel about the 49ers. So it's in comparison to. It's the same with the Giants and the Dodgers, right? Same kind of, uh, I tell you. Or for me, it's Oklahoma and Texas. You know, it's kind of that whole deal, you know, that it's in comparative. So the comparative sense of hate is this. You love one thing so much that in comparison, it appears you hate the other. You love one thing so much that in comparison... You hate, it appears, you hate the other. I don't really hate the rival, right? But I love these guys so much that I appear to hate the other team. And here's an example. I just want a couple of examples from the Bible. First is Genesis 29, 30. And it says this. It says, Jacob loved Rachel much more than Leah. Now, if you know this story, Jacob has fallen in love with Rachel, and he goes to Laban and says, I want to marry your daughter. And Laban says, that's awesome. You worked seven years. You can have her. Okay, so he works the seven years. It's his wedding night. And then Laban does a switcheroo, and in the middle of the night, he slips Leah in in the place of Rachel. And I don't understand Jacob at all. (laughs) So Jacob wakes up the next morning, and he's married to Leah and not Rachel. And so he goes to Laban, arranges a deal, and he's able to marry Rachel as well, but he has to serve another seven years. And it says here, Jacob loved Rachel more than Leah. Does this mean that he didn't love Leah? No, no, not at all. Leah became the mother of his children, the mother of his children. Does it mean he hated her? No, but he, in comparison, he loved Rachel more than he loved Leah. There's another example in Romans 9, 13. And it says, in the words of scripture, I have loved Jacob, but I rejected Esau. Now, did God hate Esau? No, God did not hate Esau. But what is true is that God had handpicked Jacob to be the lineage of Jesus and to be the one that would be given the chosen blessing. It's comparative in nature. And that's what 
most scholars believe that Jesus intended when he said, hate your father, hate your mother, hate your wife, and hate your brother and sister. That that's what Jesus meant. And what he means here is this. What Jesus is saying, if you want to be my follower, I want you to love me so much that it seems like in comparison, you hate everything else. That's what he's saying. He wants wants our love for him to be so much greater than our love for anyone or anything else comparatively that it's like hate. It's not that you do hate, but when you evaluate the love that you have for him, the love you have for anyone or anything else pales in comparison. Now that's outrageous. That's totally outrageous. And that's why we call today's talk, Clarify Your Priorities. And so I'm going to give you two thoughts from this saying, and then we're going to actually do some evaluation today to see where our hearts are in alignment as we wrap up our time together. First is this, make loving Jesus the most important priority in my life. So according to what we just said, if that's the case, I need to make loving Jesus the most important priority in my life. Several times in the Bible... And the three gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Jesus does talk about this whole idea of who do you love and your family. And then some other verses we're going to look at later, they're in other gospel accounts as well. But look what he says in Matthew 10, 37. If you love your father or mother more than you love me, you are not worthy of being mine. Once again, he's not trying to get you behind the driver's wheel, is he? He's not doing that. Or if you love your son or your daughter more than me, you're not worthy of being mine. Wow, for us who are parents, I think this would be even harder verse for those who have little babies. (laughs) And they're just looking at them and they just think that it can't get any better than this. And so they're thinking about that. You are not worthy of being mine, Jesus said. And so what Jesus is doing, he's clarifying the priorities of those who want to follow him. He's saying something that's vitally important for us to know and understand. Here's what he's doing. He's not only talking about discipleship here and what it means to follow him. He's giving this the secret to really loving others. We love others best when we love Jesus first. That's what he's saying. You love others best when you love Jesus first. He's saying, if you place loving me as your first priority in life, the love you have for your family will be greater than it ever could be if you place loving your family above loving me. And so priorities, and so some of us, that's a priority check today. What am I placing first? If my family were to look at me and evaluate me, would they say by my actions, by my words, by my values, that I'm living for them first or for Jesus first? What would it be? He's saying that if you put anything other than him as priority or first place in your life, whatever you put in first place will take precedence and it will get in the way of your relationship with him unless it is him. So here's an example. This is from Peter. Uh, Peter has denied Jesus three times uh, before Jesus crucifixion. Jesus went to the cross. Jesus was resurrected. Peter's gone his way. He's out fishing. Jesus comes to him early in the morning and they have breakfast. And then John 21, 15a says this. After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Now there's some, you know, 
discussion about what does Jesus mean by more than these. First meaning could be fish. Do you love me more than you love fish? And, you know, if you know, his business was as a fisherman. So he's really saying, do you love me more than you love your business? Oh, do you love me more than you love the family business? Because that's probably what it was, too. And then it could have been that there were family and friends around him. And so Jesus kind of broadly says, do you love me more than you love these? And then Peter says, yes, Lord. Yes, I love you more than I love these. And then so Jesus encouraged him then to go out and feed my sheep. And then Peter became one of the greatest in all Christendom in God's church as he followed him. So what Jesus was doing, he was drawing a line in the sand with this statement. See, almost everyone believes that there are basically two kinds of Christians, right? There are two kinds of Christians. There are the normal Christians, and then there are the super devoted ones, right? So we all want to be normal because we look at the super devoted ones as those who are totally extreme. But Jesus says, hey, there's only one type. There's only one type of person who follows me, and that's the person who puts me in top priority in their structure and in their life. He's saying it takes full, complete, sacrificial commitment to follow him. There are not two levels of faith. For every one of us who has said yes to Jesus Christ, we are disciple. And there's only one level. And that is the level where we place him first. It's a requirement for everyone who wants to follow him. He's saying that to be a Christian is to be a disciple, is to be a follower of his. And this is what a follower of his will do. They will place him first. First, they will love him. And Jesus is saying, here's what it's like to follow me. He's saying, don't come to me as a means to your end. Don't come to me that way. He's saying, I am the end. You are the means. But at the same time, we know that Jesus isn't giving us more to do here. So some of you can, you know, take a breath. He's not giving us more to do here. This is not about duty. This is about love. So let's just say I come home and uh, Kim's in the house and she's waiting on me to come home and I walk in and I have uh, a dozen roses in my hand and uh, I uh, bring them to her and say, here's a dozen roses, honey, and just so much, so glad that you married me and I'm just so happy in our marriage and kiss her and then turn around and walk away. And I go back to my room and I pull out the book. Oh, that's number 39. I check it off. That's duty. But if I did it out of love, then she's receiving it that way. And that's the way Jesus wants us to treat him as well. He wants us to do it out of love, not out of a sense of duty that I have to do this. In fact, that's what the Bible talks about in Romans, I mean, Matthew 22, about the great commandment. It says, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. So he said, love me first and with a passion and intensity that makes every other desire in your life pale in comparison. Now, this is one of my biggest struggles. I don't know about you, but, you know, especially in the last two to three years, maybe four, I've just been in this season of trying to understand what it means to walk with Jesus and what it really means to love him. As my counselor and spiritual mentor talks about, he says, Learn to be enthralled with Jesus. You know, as David was talking earlier, and he says that that he came, he gave up heaven, and he came to earth. 
And, you know, when David was talking to us before service, he got kind of teary when he was saying that in our pre-service meeting. And I'm going, that's intensity. Lord, help me to have that kind of emotion and that kind of love for you. But, you know, I'm a duty guy, right? It's like I, I'll do it out of duty. And, you know, just I can check it off. I don't really think I do that with Jesus, but that's my MO is move that way. God's really helping me to say, Ron, I want it to be out of love. Now, I'm not saying today I know the answer and still in process of understanding this. And so you guys continually get to walk with me through that journey as I understand more and more how to respond to him out of love. But that's what he's asking us to do is to do what we do out of love. And when we do that, when we love him first, everything else will pale in comparison. Now, look at what he says later in verse 33 of chapter 14. He says, you cannot become my disciple without giving up everything you own. So in other words, it's about priority and putting it in perspective. And we live for him first. And then he says, you can become my disciple and know my love. Okay, second idea is this. I need to make following Jesus the most important activity in my life. The most important activity in my life. So how do we do this without it feeling like a duty, right? Oh, well, he tells us. And if you, if you, you have to read Jesus through the list lens, okay, that he's not giving us duties to do. He's giving us these actions to engage in because they're the way that someone who loves acts. And so he's giving us this. And here's what he says in Luke 9, 23. Then Jesus said to the crowd, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways. And I put in there, deny yourself, because many translations have it that way. And that's the way you would probably know it as well if you've been in church for any time at all. Turn from your selfish ways, which means deny yourself. Take up your cross daily and follow me. So this is the every day where the rubber meets the road talk that Jesus was giving his disciples about how you live with the priority of putting him first and loving him. And so that Jesus becomes your most important focus in life. And he's given us three disciplines here or three actions. The first is this. I must waive my rights. I must waive my rights. So you can spell it either way if you want to. W-A-V-E, I'm waving goodbye. W-A-I-V-E, I'm waving them. I'm writing them off. I'm saying I no longer have rights. Uh, now, some of you say, well, you know, you've heard Jesus' words, deny yourself, and you're thinking, well, that just means I can't have any more fun, Right? You know, you really, you've thought that, right? And you have, you know, other people have talked about deny yourself just means entering this life. I can't do anything, have any fun. Oh, I'm just serving Jesus and I love him so much. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and everybody else can see I love him too. Yeah, by the way, you know, so that's not what that means, though. It's not what it means at all. It means, here's what it means. Once again, remember, Jesus is not trying to get you behind the wheel of a car here. He's trying to get you out from behind the wheel of the car to give up control. That's what it means. He's saying, I want you to give me control of your life. I want you to let me call the shots. I want you to say yes to me by saying no to yourself. And as you say no to yourself, you say yes to me. Okay, the second idea he gave is I need to be willing to die. my gosh. This is outrageous. <laughs> I need to be willing to die. And he says, take up my cross daily and be willing to die 
And basically what that means is, is if I'm on the way to die. So the practical way to love Jesus is to start every day with an attitude that today, Jesus, I'm on my way to die for you. Because in Jesus' day, when you picked up a cross, there was no turning back. We sang that song, No Turning Back, a while ago. When you picked up a cross, there was no turning back. Because you, from the moment you had the cross on your back, you carried it to your place of execution. And there was nothing that would stop your execution on that day. Now, some people use this uh, part of this section, and they use it this way. Well, they're looking at something in their life, and they say something like, this is just my cross to bear. You ever use that or heard someone else use that same as well? That's not what Jesus meant here. They were really looking at their life, and they've got a difficult job situation, or they're you know, struggling with their child or some way, or their marriage is you know, not what it want, they wanted it to be, or they have a health situation, and... They say, well, this is just my cross to bear. And the impl- here's the implication in that statement, that if it's just my cross to bear, that there will be a moment when I can put it down, that there will be an end to this. That's, the, that's the, uh, included in that comment, that this is just my cross to bear. I don't have to carry it anymore. But what Jesus is saying to us is this is, just a, this is a one-way ticket. There's no putting it down is that every day you would pick up the cross, which means the cross is the instrument of death, and you would walk and you would say, I am carrying this cross as a sign that I am dead to myself. That's what the Bible says. I'm dead, to, I'm dead because of the cross. I no longer live, but it's Christ who lives in me. I'm crucified with him. So every day, take up your cross. And so this is an attitude. First, it was an, you know, an action of letting go. This is an attitude of saying, I am just going to die to my needs today and die to my way and live according to Christ. Okay, the third is this. I must walk in his steps. I must walk in his steps. He said, follow me. So that means that I'm going to get in line and I'm going to be behind him. Following means behind. And I'm going to walk in the same steps that Jesus took because he gave himself for me. And by the way, this is a call. Once again, he said daily in the previous one. Well, this one, he used a certain way of speaking, a a grammatical tool here, to let it be known that this is an ongoing, all-the-time action. So now I am following him for the rest of my days in this way. So he's saying, you will follow me. As I walk with him and I follow him, what happens is then I become like him in nature and character and values and life. I'll just go back to my marriage again. If, you know, on the day that Kimberly and I looked at each other in the eyes and we said, I do. And then we walked away and she went and she stayed in Florida and I moved to California to start a church. Okay. Would we have ever fallen more deeply in love? No. How do we fall more deeply in love? By spending time with one another. And that's what Jesus is saying. He says, I want following me means spending time with me because I want you to grow more in love with me. And also, then you will also take on my characteristics and my values. Look at what he says in Mark 8. He says, if you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul. So folks, it's our innate nature. It's our innate nature 
to desire, just know this, to desire the gifts more than the giver. It's just our innate nature. But the key to moving beyond desiring the gifts more than the gift giver is to fall more in love with the gift giver than the gifts. And that's what he's calling us to do, to be more in love with him than I am with his gifts. And he wants us to know that the gifts that God gives us are tied, attached to him and his goodness and his love and his righteousness and the, all the things about God that we would look at and we say, oh, it's just awesome to be in relationship with him. All have attachments to him. So I just want to close today uh, with these three questions. As I was doing my study this week, I ran across these three questions. And I just thought, you know, let's just end with this today. In fact, let's just end the whole series with these questions. And if it's your first time uh, today, you haven't been for the rest of the series, and you still you've heard what I've talked about today, and they're relevant to the day. But they're also relevant for the entire series. And so... If you just ask yourself, I know we had a time in our singing to just be reflective. This is a time for reflection uh, right now. So the first question is, where is Jesus leading me that I'm reluctant to follow? See, if I'm in it for me, I will cut corners. If I'm in it for me, there were options I choose that are not in alignment with his will. But if I'm in it for him, I will go where he leads me. I will do that. I will follow him. I will be following where he's called me to be. Second question. What is Jesus saying to me that I'm resisting to hear? What has he been saying and that you know it's been him saying it, but you're resisting it? You've been pushing it away. You've not been willing to do what he says. So I just ask, you know, as you're reflecting, are you censoring his voice? Because you really know what he's asking. In some area, he's saying, I want you to die to yourself. There's an area you need to give up control. You need to get out from behind the wheel and you need to give me control. You're not living as if you are dead. You're not living as if you're carrying a cross. And you're definitely not living like you're following me. So where are you censoring him? Uh, Where are you kind of reframing his words? Well, I heard him say this, but doggone it, I think he meant this. (laughs) And you you reframe it so that it's more convenient with you in the moment. What has he said to you that you just don't want to hear? And you've been refusing to respond. That's number three. What is Jesus asking you to do that you've been refusing to do? I mean, there's all kinds. The list could just go on. It could be to reach out to a neighbor. Uh, It could be that he's been asking you to take on this uh, service opportunity. It could be that he's saying that there's something in your life that needs to go, and you've not been willing to let it go. You've been hanging on to it because you're afraid to let it go. But what is it that he's asking of you? That you've been refusing to do. Yeah. Well, we'll pray about that, Andy. Okay. So there's a, a, the whole concept is that following a rabbi means that you're going to do what the rabbi says. You're going to listen to what he says, but you're also going to do what he said. That was a condition for following a rabbi in Jesus' day. 
And so Jesus is our rabbi, and he's saying to us that you will listen to me, you will be in relationship with me, but then it really does come down to you will do what I say because you know it's in your best interest to do that. Now, there's a promise. Look at the promise. Mark read this to us last week as well, uh, but it fits in the whole section where I've been reading. Here's the promise. I assure you that everyone who has given up houses or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or property for my sake and the sake of the good news will receive now in return a hundred times as many houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and property. That sounds pretty good, right? A hundred times my investment? Where else do you get a promise of a hundred times your investment? You don't. And it's guaranteed by the blood of the cross. And Jesus says, if you love me as your top priority, if you make sacrifices for my sake, here's what he's saying and we need to hear. I promise you that you will get everything you're searching for. I promise you that. And here's his promise. I just want to say it again. Going back to the first of the talk. When your love for Jesus is your greater than your love for your family, then your love for family is greater than it could have been. And your reward is greater as well. When your love for Jesus is greater, your love for family will be greater than it could have been, and your reward is greater as well. Just remember that. Let's go ahead and pray. So we began the series with Jesus by asking his disciples... Um, when Jesus asked his disciples if they wanted to turn away from him. And if you remember, Peter said, to whom would we go? Only you have the words of eternal life. You are the Holy One of God. And so Jesus, there are many in this room who have said yes to you. And there's no difference between saying yes to you and being a disciple. There's not, I said yes to you today, and now if I want to tomorrow, I'll sign up to be a disciple. Or at some other point when I feel like it. Or when it makes more sense to me. But at the moment you said yes to Jesus, you said yes to being a disciple. A follower. An apprentice. And so today, these words are for you. They're not optional. They're words for... Jesus says, if you don't do these, you can't be my follower. So one way to know today, if you're truly a follower of his, is how did these words come to you today? Were you open with it, a sense of, oh, this is so refreshing to my soul? And it could have been that it was a challenge because even though as a follower, you're choosing to you know, step out of the path. And so there were challenges in this today. But you know you're a follower and you know his call on you. And for some of us, we've never said yes to him and so we're not his follower. And Jesus died so that we could know him, be in relationship with him. He showed us his love for us by going to the cross. And I just want to give you an invitation. If you wanted to say yes to him today, that you would. You would say, Jesus, as much as I understand this today, I want to say yes to you, yes to forgiveness. Yes, I've sinned. Yes, I ask you to cleanse me today. And yes, I will let you get behind the wheel and be in control of my life. I will take up this cross 
of death to myself daily. And I will follow you continually. And Jesus, is my prayer today for me and for those in the room. That we would grow deeper in love with you. The older I get, the more I want this. I pray for those in the room who are teenagers, 20s, 30s. And they're all about career. They're all about direction. They're all about, you know, the things to make get to a place of what they think would be comfort or stability or success or fulfillment. That today they would hear Jesus' words just inviting them to form a love relationship. And then those of us who are older in the room could say, you'll be glad you did that. Because that'll never fail you. But many of the things we place our hope in will fail. So I pray today, Jesus, as we all walk with you, that it's out of that love relationship that we would respond. I ask you to to just be with us in a tangible way. I ask you to help us to reflect on you so that we are so enthralled with you that everything else pales in comparison to the point where someone might look in and say, we hate it. Wow. It's in your name we pray. Amen.